Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting, as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I'm enjoying another day in self-isolation. I am wearing some uh, gym shorts and a t-shirt because there's no real reason to get dressed other than go and pick up the mail today. So I thought that I would reach out to a really good longtime friend of mine. I am very honored and ecstatic and humbled to have him on my podcast today. I have legendary lighting designer, Peter Morse. He is an Emmy award-winning lighting designer out of Tahoe, California. Thank you so much to, for making uh, some time to join me today, Peter. My pleasure. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see your smiling face and uh, I'm glad that you're able to take time from being out on the boat with your lovely wife. <laughs> I'm not taking time out from being on the boat. I'm trying to get the boat in the water, but that's a whole other issue. But yes, thank you. <laughs> Happy to take some time and visit with you. It's been a while. Absolutely. Yeah. I always enjoy knowing when I'm coming to Salt uh, to Lake Tahoe to know that you're there's a good chance that you'll be in the area and we'll be able to go hang out on the boat or something like that. It's always a pleasure to make it to your neck of the woods. Uh, you know, that brings one point to mind. We realize that in Lake Tahoe, we have four, se uh, four seasons, June, July, August, and winter. <clears throat> so, you know, getting out on the boat is uh, kind of a rare activity, rarefied, should we say, when you consider it's about 25% of the year is all we get. Mm -hmm. When did you move to Tahoe? Uh Literally, I had a, a like a vacation house up here in the 70s, but I literally established residence here in mid 80s or late 80s, okay. 86, 87. Yeah. And, and uh, never, never looked back. That was, that's the place no, for never, you. Never looked back. And, you know, I, it, I hate, you know, I have a little place down in Southern Cal that I rent out, but I used to keep a guest room there with my friends who lived there. And, uh, I, I enjoy that. It's down at the beach area, Manhattan Beach. And I, I do miss that. I miss that a bit. But that's only the only time I miss that is when we got three or four foot of snow overnight here. Then I'm going, I got to get down to Southern Cal. But right now, this time of year, you can't beat what we're having here in Lake Tahoe. It's gorgeous. You still find yourself shoveling the, the driveway? No, I paid for that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, every year on Facebook, I'll put, I'll post a, uh, a photo. I, th I think it's just a photo of me with the old snowblower and I'm surrounded by three and four feet of snow. And, uh, my back just 
finally gave, you know, waved the white flag a few years ago. And so I'm happy to pay the neighbor who's doing it, you know, for his retirement income. So it's important to listen to your body when it, when it starts yeah, screaming at you. Like, yeah. Hey, this isn't. Yeah. And it screams loudly sometimes. So. <laughs> <laughs> so when you decided to move to Tahoe, it was kind of a thriving little gambling town then. Oh, it now still is. It, is. Still yeah. Is. Well, not this moment, of course, with COVID. Right. But, uh, oh, yeah, there's, uh, I'm trying to think if it's grown any. You know, what's interesting is, you know, it's all the same casinos, although they've modernized and uh, they've gotten somewhat larger. Of course, when I first came here in 1966, summer of 66, I was in the New Christie Minstrels and uh, Performer. And we opened the new showroom at what was then the Sahara Hotel Casino. We were the summer long opening act for Henry Mancini, who was the main attraction. And I fell in love with it back then, never even considering the, op the idea that I could ever really be able to live here. Mm -hmm. But I just fell in love with it back then. And of course, it was 20 some years later that I really was able to realize that. Uh, and it, it's been great, really been great. Just in the time that you've lived there, I would imagine you've seen the entertainment and even the entertainment venues just change oh, so much. Dramatically, dramatically. Uh, just the showrooms and you know, the technology. What, what's interesting, an uh, uh, interesting aside here. So as a member of the Christie's, I was technically, I technically was part of the uh, opening of the showroom at the Sahara Hotel. Okay, and that was in 1960, actually 60, yeah, 65. I think it was the summer of 66. At any rate, in, in the ensuing years when I got into lighting, which is a whole other story, uh, a different adventure. But uh, once I was doing lighting, I went back into that hotel several times with various artists uh, that I was lighting. Tina Turner, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Rick Nelson, Mac Davis, Dolly Parton, et cetera, into that very same showroom. 30 years later, in 1996, I got hired, uh, brought on board to do all the lighting for the movie Showgirls. And with a, the portion they wanted me to light, of course, was the performance lighting, which was all production lighting, uh, a la Showgirls, you know, the, the, the traditional Vegas showroom type of lighting. And where did they do it? They used that same stage at what was now called the Horizon Hotel, but it was the exact same stage. Mm -hmm. Well, when I went in there to survey, they still had all the fixtures, all the analog stuff that had been there for 20 years, you know. And I said, strip all this out. You know, we're going to bring in all our own automated, you know, we're going to, you know, we relit the show. But we basically stripped out the room and uh, brought in a whole new system, uh, side lighting, top lighting, everything for film and everything else. Okay, so we worked in there for two weeks, and when we closed and they pulled us out, they never put anything back in the room. The room was torn out and refabricated into a uh, multiplex. So it, it, over the period of 30 years, from 1966 to 1996, I opened that showroom, and I basically closed it. <laughs> wow. 
they took a beautiful classic showroom and turned it into a movie theater or multiple movie theaters in fact. multiples and uh, now i haven't been in there in a while so now a uh hard rock hard rock hotel. yeah and i hear they've and it's right down the road from me and i can't believe i haven't been in there but i hear they've restored the theater not to its original grandeur but at least they're bringing back you know some performance performance i was lucky enough to go in there and i got to see where they had to really make some compromises to put the the movie theaters in and the 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 old spot booths are still there they're just hidden in plaster yeah, if you walked in now again, I don't know if that's current because I haven't been in there in a while now. Yeah, this was a couple uh, of years ago. Yeah, me too. And uh, uh, we would go in to the candy counter mm-hmm. and you know get your popcorn. And if you just turn around and look over your shoulder, my God, there's the lighting booth. It's right there. Yep. You know, and uh, just not walled off, not sealed off, nothing. It's just sitting there. You know, for all I know, the all the uh, the, the old console and everything else was still sitting in there all dusty. Who knows? Yep. There's still a, a patch bay dimmer rack in there. It's Probably. All, it's all yeah. still, it's gutted, of course. I mean, I'm sure somebody took all the copper that was worth anything and sold it off. There, still, I asked the guys, there. I asked the guys if there was still an etching on the wall. They, they, not an etching, but they did, you know, the walls were black and ceiling was black in there. And they took a little white ink pen and wrote, a, a specific date. I forget what show I was in there with, but they said, let it be known that on this date at 8, 10 PM, Peter Morse lit an entire song with only one cue. <laughs> <laughs> and they wrote that on the wall and all the uh, guys in the crew signed it, including myself. And I, I asked, I asked one person if they could find out if, if I never heard back. You know, still there. <laughs> I'm sure it was well worth that one cue. I'm sure it uh, was yeah. perfect one cue. Right. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great uh, metaphor for the, how entertainment has changed to go yeah. from classic showrooms to movie theaters and now back yeah. to uh, a modern showroom. Yeah. Everybody yeah. thought that, that live theater was going to, go away with with the invention of movies but just it's unbeatable it just keeps coming back because of the i would imagine it's because of the the communal ritual experience of being in a room with all the people and seeing a live performer and not just a movie screen well you see that's what's interesting is the big to do right now about who's doing residencies who are the big artists doing one two three week residencies and going away for a month and coming back and so forth. And we were doing residencies back then, you know, as I mentioned, Mac Davis, yeah. uh, that was my first big residency when we played the uh, MGM, the old MGM grand in Vegas, we did three weeks at a time. And I think a half dozen bookings, maybe, maybe more per year. There were several other artists I did that with and that was back then, but they didn't call it residencies. It was called the star system as they called it in Vegas. Yeah. Then that went away and they brought in book shows and, you know, uh, standard uh, Vegas type productions. Now they're back into the quote unquote residencies, which supposedly is a new idea. Well, it really isn't. It's just new, new, new talent. It's just marketing that they're like, Oh, look at this yeah. new thing we invented, but you didn't yeah. invent that. It's, 
Elvis was doing that years ago. That's, yeah, well, there that's you cool. go. There's the most famous one right there. Elvis at the Hilton. Yeah. My God, that was that was before our time. That was the early 60s. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but mid-60s yeah. at least. And, uh, yeah, he had that showroom all to himself for years. Wayne Newton, same thing. Yeah, just, yeah. yeah that's, it was the Wayne Newton showroom because he lives there. No you know? question. Yeah, no question. Yeah. It's just we did we got tricked we got marketed to that a residency was a new invention when they started putting Santana and Motley Cruz and yeah Santana. it's a new label new label new label very clever yeah. it works I remember when Celine Dion Celine Dion opened uh, Caesar's Coliseum when they first rebuilt all that because I used to do <laughs> it just hit me I used to do Pointer Sisters in the main showroom at Caesar's as as what you would now call a residency. And but that was in the days when they had a show and it doesn't exist anymore. It's currently part of a, oh, I don't know what it disappeared, what it became, but it doesn't exist anymore. They tore it down and became part of the hotel casino. And that was uh, when they uh, built the new Coliseum. So uh, all I know is when Celine came into the Coliseum, that was the first time you heard the term residency because they really mm-hmm. played that up in the market. Yeah. Uh, and it works in those uh, tourist destinations like Tahoe and Vegas and even Branson, Missouri, to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Where you can, and yeah. uh, New York, for sure, where you can be there for a long amount of time, an extended and, period and, of time, and people will just come to you. And the artists uh, love it, you know. I mean, yeah. their overhead is cut by 60 70% as far as transport, trucks, buses, yeah. all that crap. Yeah. So you keep mentioning a lot of the the people that you've worked with, and they're all very eccentric and uh, <laughs> very opinionated people, I would imagine. How have you lasted in this game so long, working with such, uh, to use a metaphor, like you're in a you're in you just bounce from tiger cage to tiger cage, and you keep getting by well, without getting bit. Well, no, when they've had enough of me or devoured enough of me i'm sent on my way uh i like to say uh somewhat sadly and yet i like to say that a good portion of my my clients as you might call them are either semi-retired or dead unfortunately uh but a lot of history there uh fortunately i still have an ongoing relationship you know with uh several of my clients which is great uh mm-hmm but a few of them are as old as I am. <laughs> so, you know, we seriously question, you know, the future as far as the mm-hmm. frequency of appearances and so forth. But, you know, we all got to grow old sooner or later, but growing old beats the uh, alternative. You know? Yeah. So one of the things I want to get more into is like when I look over your, your online stuff and your social media, I see lots of photos with you, with the artist, because you're actually friends with them how do you kind of walk the line between clients and friendships uh frankly the friendship with a couple exceptions which went beyond the stage the friendships exist within the realm of performance and our work together i mean we're friends mm-hmm. uh, and yet i'm still an employee of course you know but right. uh i have a strong I don't know. I have a, a strong belief in getting to know the artist, not necessarily, uh, you know, over dinner, <laughs> but to get to know them to the point where I understand them, their needs, their wants, 
not just their lyrics and the songs they sing, but get a feel for what kind of person they are. And so I try and uh, get as close as possible to them uh, without infringing on their privacy, of course, but just so that, you know, we can communicate, you know, openly to each other as to, you know, what they mm -hmm. might want or need or what they feel is missing. They shouldn't have to go through their tour manager and send a chain of messages to me. Uh, it, I like the direct communication and I'd like to think that in the end they agree with that. Yeah, I think a lot can get mistranslated when it goes through an assistant or a tour manager. They they can usually take a genuine opinion or a critique or just a minor detail and it kind of can get blown out of proportion. Inevitably, you know, and uh, that's that's why I like to have direct communication, at least in the creative aspect. Beyond that, it just, you know, if it comes together, great, that'd be nice. But I don't look for that. Uh, you know, I don't look to socialize with them beyond, you know, our work or the, beyond the workplace. Uh, fortunately, in a few cases, it's gone that way where, you know, we've uh, been able to, uh, you know, been invited to parties or private parties, things that have nothing to do with the, uh, the tour itself, but just to be able to socialize with them and, you know, uh, uh, keep, uh, maintain a friendship. But the most important factor to me is being able to have a direct line of communication when we're being creative. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> like you're trying to keep, maintain respect levels without getting overly chummy Absolutely. or relation yeah. or yeah, friendly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it's a very most, fine line. That's where I'm most comfortable. And I would like to think that's where they sh would be most comfortable also. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Absolutely. I think a lot of people will see the photos elsewhere, uh, especially when it, when stagehands do it and they think, Oh, well, if once I'm in the ind industry, I have to become best friends with all these people and then we got to hang out all the time. So they yeah. keep uh, my name in their Rolodex and, and uh, no, that's it's a tough. It's a that's tough not my goal life. in any case. Yeah. And uh, you know, it, it, Listen, I haven't, for instance, not that I, I don't mean to drop a name, but if I haven't worked with Dolly in a number of years. Uh, we, we uh, frankly, I, I worked with her when she first left. Uh, oh my God, I'm like, now I can't think of his name. Um, oh, who was her mentor early on? Uh, country artist. Kenny Rogers? Uh, no, no, long before that. But at any rate, when she, uh, when I was touring with Mac Davis, uh, Sandy Gallen and Jim Mori, her managers, uh, Max managers, signed Dolly. And they came to me and they said, uh, she's going to be Max's opening act for uh, his next tour. Would you take her under your wing, so to speak, and, you know, light her and everything? And she'd, she'd never had that kind of treatment before where we really took care of her and lit her and everything. And fortunately, after that, as she toured and, and did her own Vegas residency at the Riviera, et cetera, you know, I was on board with her and we worked a lot together for several years. And uh, there became, there came a time when there was a bit of a break. She took a break and I moved on and, and, and it's been what, 50, 20 years probably since I actually worked with her. And yet mm -hmm. uh, it was Max's 70th birthday about four years ago or so. And I went down to LA for it. And she was there and saw me across the crowd and came running up and screaming, you know, and, 
And she said, you still doing that Latin thing? I said, well, yeah, call me sometime, you know. She's really sweet. She's a rare to, one. That would, that would be very tough to not fall into friendship with her. She's such a well, genuinely and she, and wonderful human being. Absolutely. And she's one of those that it was easy to become a friend with. And uh, even so, you know, when years passed and we did not work together, you know, we didn't communicate. Occasionally, I'd get a message or through somebody or mm-hmm. vice versa. That's all. I think that's probably one of the most important reasons to to consciously separate friendship from clients is because if you fall out of clientship, that doesn't mean you've fallen out of friendship. Like just because you haven't worked with Dolly for twenty years does not mean that she's not going to love to see you at a at a cocktail and party that, somewhere. That's the most rewarding part of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely and i can't say that for every artist i've worked with <laughs> by all means but uh there's a few that i've you know been able to remain occasional friends with i can reach out and send a christmas or a birthday greeting to and they respond and it's nice you know but beyond that no i try and keep it professional now all respects yeah that's the other that's the other side of it to just be able to reach out and say hey uh we're both professionals in our industry full respect happy birthday merry christmas uh, i would imagine it's nice when you can still maintain a professional relationship without crossing that line that's i think that's really important yeah uh, and and you know artists listen i've had artists that have moved on obviously to other lighting designers etc production designers and i i have the vision i have the view that they're free to do what they, it's their career. You know, they, they have the right to make whatever move they want. I don't hold that against them, but mm-hmm. they may walk in and see someone's show and they love the design and they want to go that route or they may meet somebody. It is what it is. You know, uh, yeah. fortunately I've never been fired, <laughs> you know, I've just not asked back perhaps, right. <laughs> you know, in light of the fact they found someone they wanted to try and work with. And yet, even in that case, uh, not to name names, and I won't, but we've still remained friends and stay in contact. So, yeah, that's the positive. Now, on the other of side it. of the, on the other side of the dime, I would imagine there's lots of people that you've worked for that you really did not want to become friends with. Then, for that exact reason, yeah, you're like, hey, yeah, yeah. I, I'll take your money. <laughs> I'm not the biggest fan of you, though. Yeah. yeah <laughs> also, but, not to name names, but yeah. Uh, uh, one person comes to mind whose work ethic was remarkable and who professionally I respect, immensely respect, but uh, personally was really a difficult person to deal with. But on a professional level, no problem. But uh, I don't miss working with that particular <laughs> artist. And yet, you know what? If they called again, I guess I would, especially right now. With, you know, especially right now, where we're all just sitting at home, you know, twiddling our thumbs. I suppose I would take a call. You know, <laughs> we're all such suckers for that. I'll lower my standards. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> I could finish a four-month tour and walk away and go like, "Fuck, I'm never doing that again." You know, given a month of sitting at home, I'll, I'll take it again. I'll, yeah, we're well, you know, and for that, good beating. That speaking of the four month tour uh, comment, uh, years ago I toured a lot because at that time I toured. Well, we weren't into automated lighting as much as we are now, so mm-hmm. I was operating the console or at least one of them. If there was automated lighting, I had a separate 
programmer operator with me. And uh, I, would, I was on tour a lot uh, as automated lighting really basically took over the, the industry. And the, uh, the console of choice was either the Verilite uh, or the animator or the uh, now the Grand MA, and, and there's many others out there. But mm -hmm. I took a step back as have several of my uh, other colleagues uh, who choose to remain designers and yet not programmers slash operators. Uh, and I, <laughs> I made a joke recently, you know, we're now in the uh, era of uh, uh, what's it called? The six foot distancing, uh, social distancing. I think I began my social distancing with the advent of the automated lighting console. <laughs> uh, my programmers six won't let me within, they won't let me get. six feet of the console because whenever I touch a button, things go to hell. And <laughs> so uh, anyway, as a result of that, uh, I tour less and I don't miss it. But when I do tour, uh, I tour as a lighting director and uh, most of the time basically hands off calling cues and uh, overseeing the daily changes and doing what needs to be done. But uh, more and more you see a one man operation with the young guys out there uh, who are mm -hmm. ascending into the business who are programmers, and, uh, operators, and in some cases actually good LDs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, used to be, used to require a whole team with, with uh, but now with technology, we can, it still makes it so that one person is capable, whether that's a good idea or not, is uh, yeah, left to be decided. Well, it depends on the size of the rig and everything else, but yeah. uh, I've been blessed with some really brilliant programmers and lighting directors who are not only brilliant, but loyal, loyal to the design. So I know that when I wave goodbye to it as it loads out, of the rehearsal hall or out of the third or fourth show when I go home, it's going to look just like that when I come back out of two, three weeks later to check on things. And that's nice to know, or they check with you when changes need to be made. Mm -hmm. uh, though they're fully capable of making those changes on their own. So, it, so it's wonderful to have a little family of programmers and lighting directors, you know, that I can rely on as I'm sure is the same with most of the other designers who, don't tour as much as they used to. You do have very good taste in directors and programmers and operators. I feel I do, you know. Uh, I, I, I honestly cannot recall an instance where I've had a bad experience, which I guess I'm very fortunate in that respect. Wow, that is fortunate. Yeah. Uh, I would imagine a lot of that has to do with your own perception of the way it's going. It's like, hey, if we're going to make this good. Even if it's uh, even if we're in a tough situation, we're just going to make sure that we're all getting along and making sure that we're oh, yeah. in a positive direction. I mean, and listen, the, the strongest part of it is trusting them to make the changes that need to be made in not only in an intelligent way, but in a way that might reflect how I would do it. So at least we'd stay consistent with the concept that we came up with initially, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, I feel like I'm in rare company with some of the people I've got. So I'm blessed. Yeah. So that actually touches on to one of the other questions I wanted to ask you about when it comes to the trust levels, you have to basically put your entire career and trust in people to manage your career for you. When you have an artist management 
and you have a, a representative, do you find that to make your trust levels higher when you're when you have uh, when you have to completely place your entire career in the hands of a of a manager? Yeah, you know, <laughs> by nature, I'm kind of mistrustful of that whole area. Interesting. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Michael, who uh, manages me, basically goes out and you know represents me and makes makes my deals. Which, listen, that started many years ago before anybody else was doing it. Mm-hmm. But uh, before I get to the point I was going to make. The reason I did it was I found I could stand face to face with the artist or the artist manager and, and have no, what's the word? Uh, no, uh, feelings of guilt. Like, you know, uh, I can look yeah. at them. Uh, I can deal with them artistically and creatively without worrying about the money side of it or having them look at me and say, you're taking how much money from me? You know, it, it's, yeah never came up between us. In fact, anybody calls me out of the cold for a a job, we'll talk about it creatively. And then they said, now, can we talk numbers? I said, here's who you call. I don't talk numbers. Now, Michael and I may talk on our, on the side about the numbers Mm -hmm. before he goes back to them. He does communicate with me. That's never between me and the artist or the artist manager. I try and keep that separate. Yeah. That degree of separation sounds liberating. It is. It is. You can go to your artist with full honesty and say, Hey, I really, really want to work with you. I want to make this happen. Uh, I I'm excited. I've got great ideas. All you have to do is talk to Michael. And if the numbers line up, we can do this because I, I'm excited. And yeah. uh, Then of course there's the occasional call back where they say, what's wrong with Michael? What's wrong with that guy? (laughs) What are you crazy? I said, let me talk to him. You know, but you know, sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, but that's a filter that, I mean, a lot of people, myself included, I'll, I'm a a victim of my own emotions where I'll take a pay cut because I want to work with somebody. And sometimes that's bitten me in the butt saying, Oh man, I wish I had had somebody else to filter yeah off of and yet you know i'll still do that you know i mean there's artists i would dream to work with Uh, there's artists that i work with now that i would bend over backwards to be able to continue working with i mean Mm -hmm. even financially to a point you know and uh and michael understands that so when he talks to them he represents that to them you know i just don't have to get into that discussion face to face with him because that's just not my forte right but even still, you have that accountability where you have to go to Michael and say, hey, look, no, nah, I really want to take that. So yeah. we're going to, and if Michael is willing to say, look, Peter, that's a, that's a good idea. Or, hey, Peter, that's a bad idea. And, and by the same token, he, he's come back to me with numbers that were surprisingly high for what I expected. So, <laughs> hey, you know, <laughs> if you average it out, I think we're doing okay. You, you know? got to win some and lose some to, yeah. to, to make it this yeah to make it this long in the game, I would imagine. I guess so. Yeah. So it's a tried and true fact that you don't earn what you deserve. You earn what you negotiate for. So I'm fully willing to give over that authority to somebody else who is a much better negotiator than myself. Mm. Well, I I agree a hundred percent and you know, it's worked fine for me. 
really has. And there's been a few times where they've come back and said, thanks to your manager, you're not, we're not using you. Okay, he may have been in the wrong. He may have blown it, but you know, I have to place that trust in him if I'm gonna you know, follow through with yeah. uh, any of these uh, uh, negotiations. So uh, that's in his hands. The results uh, more than speak for itself that you're doing quite well and uh, your reputation more than precedes yourself. And uh, oh, thank you. If you've, if you've missed one or two, it, it's only because of the 99 that you won. Well, I appreciate that. I'm glad you see it that way. <laughs> I'm forever Mr. Negative. <laughs> How did I lose that 10 years ago? Yeah. <laughs> see, that's another one that that's another good reason to have an artist management because we are our own worst critic. And if somebody else is going to confirm that bias for us and be like, yeah, Peter, I'd love to use you, but you know, you, the last gig you did wasn't that great. So I, I want to use you, but I'm going to pay you like half of what you is just to see if you see if you're up for it. And we're kind of, uh, we kind of lean towards that. To, that we're like, well, oh, and I'd be the one right. see, and there, that's where I would say, by all means, let me prove to you that I can still do it. Mm -hmm. And whether Michael would step in and say, what are you nuts? No way. You're, <laughs> you're, you're setting a precedent. Once you set a precedent, you're screwed. So, you know, uh, good cap, good cop, bad cop. Right on. You're, yeah. you're a great, good cop. Uh, <laughs> Michael, Michael plays a great bad cop when he needs to. Well, he, he basically is one. <laughs> <laughs> Those who know him just go, yeah. oh, scowly face. Okay. <laughs> just uh, just talking to him on the phone is a pleasure. He's got that accent. You, you just know that he doesn't want to dilly-dally with you. He really wants to get, to get to business, and the small talk rarely goes over well. He's like, yeah, okay, enough with the, the chit-chat. Let's, let's talk numbers here. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, the way we started together, I was uh, – Year, again, going way back to the Christie Minstrels, one of my fellow, uh, well, Kenny Rogers, Kim Carnes, uh, basically all the members of the first edition all grew out of the Christie Minstrels. Mm -hmm. uh, a number of years later, I was, uh, when Kim had her hit with uh, Betty Davis Eyes, I was helping her and I was touring with her and lighting her shows. And she was managed by Ken Cragen. And Michael Brokaw worked with Ken. And uh, Kenny was also signed to them. And she said, I want Peter to come out and do the tour. And he said, I got to meet him. So he met me and, you know, it was an interesting meeting, <laughs> confronting Michael the first time. And he was working on her behalf, of course. Mm -hmm. And I, I worked with him, uh, uh, with uh, Kim, and then through the years with uh, Kenny Rogers. And my God, there's several other, Dottie West and a few others that went through that office and when he finally, uh, when they shut the office down and Ken Cragen, I believe, retired, uh, Michael called me one day. He says, you know, uh, let me help you with that particular. There was some deal that was going down that was not going down well. He said, let me help you with that. And he pulled it off and he said, why don't we try this for a while? He said, I'm not doing anything else. I've never represented, you know, a technician, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. let me do that. And he's since uh, signed on several designers, programmers, etc., And that's all he does now. And he does it wow. at a very limited level now. He's very quiet and out of his home up in Santa Cruz and very low key. All right. 
do you as find is, my career is low key now too of course this is all of <laughs> everybody's ours. yeah yeah well let's all say it's we're all low key right now absolutely do you find that having been on the artist side of the industry helps you uh, absolutely yeah without a question without a doubt without a doubt i don't bring that into uh, there's a few of my clients that have probably have no idea that i ever performed or sang and there are others that do know that uh that I actually have some performance history with but it, it, it helps me as far as uh, understanding the dynamics i think it helps me understand the dynamics of the music itself the composition i i remember when uh, i signed on with yanni a number of years ago and uh he said uh uh I'm going to uh, come on into rehearsal and watch the rehearsals and uh, tell me what, if you think you can do anything with it. And I went in and watched the rehearsals and uh, I said, I like that one number that's in five, four. I'd like that number. That was, he said, Oh, you know, the time signatures. I said, yeah. He said, great. You're hired because his time signatures are pretty strange and mm -hmm. five, four is not that strange, but there were others that were really out there. And when we got together and started programming his shows, I knew where the hits were and so forth. Whereas some of my programmers at the time did not quite get it, you know, and it was kind of difficult. If you're not a musician, it's difficult to work with people like that. And so that, that's one particular instance that it really was a, a bonus to me. But uh, overall, I think it's just helped me understand what it, feels like to have the lights on you you know mm -hmm. and, uh, and uh, how important the music and the lyrics are to the artist and not to step on them visually which i'd imagine emotionally you you have a better understanding of what they're going through as well you understand what it's like to be celebrated and also to be rejected up on stage and and uh, what it how important it is to feel comfortable in the lighting oh yeah i mean listen i wholly understand totally understand the rejection on stage <laughs> that's why i do what i do now people some, somebody uh, recently said oh you used to be an entertainer i said no if i was an entertainer i'd still be doing it nobody was particularly entertained by what i did <laughs> so humble <laughs> but i would imagine you're able to talk them through what can make them more comfortable within the lighting as well? I would, I would imagine you have a better dialogue available to you. It helps, especially when we're communicating about the music itself and so forth. Uh, and uh, it's interesting. I'll uh, work with some art. You know, I've worked with a lot with country artists. I've worked with rock, and I've worked with some uh, uh, theat theatrical uh, people people basically brought up in the theater and they're all different backgrounds and different approaches and different ways of looking at how they should be seen and heard and, you know, and uh, what they should be surrounded with. And uh, what I try and do is not just adhere to what it, they're comfortable with, but try and bring a little bit of the other element into what they do. Uh, I know with, for instance, with Bette Midler, when I first signed on, she said, I don't like those moving lights. You know, I don't believe in that. You know, she's, you know, very theatrical, very Broadway. Uh, her background is very heavy in Broadway and theater. She said, I said, well, I said, let me explain it this way. The lights don't have to move for you, but understand that the light, one light can behave like a dozen other types of fixtures. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, what might be red one song might be uh, yellow in the next song with patterns coming out of, you know, whatever, but you won't see those changes. Well, okay, you can do that. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. And it, eventually uh, it, it was fun working with a type of artist like Madonna who brought theater into, you know, pop music into, I wouldn't call it rock as much as pop, but she bought, brought the theatrical into pop as did Jackson and a few others. Mm -hmm. And it's a little slower process with Bette bringing a little bit of the rock into her performances. But we managed over a period of time. We managed to get a little bit of it. And she enjoyed it, you know. She enjoyed it. She was comfortable as long as it wasn't just thrown at her, you know. Right on. And you just so, have to keep chipping away at the, the stone. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. And making it comfortable. Uh, do you find that having an artist management helps you with the competition these days? I'd imagine a few years ago there was a slightly less competition and now, now the, well, the, the market's just flooded. It's flooded with agents and managers too, you know? It yeah. never used to be like that. Uh, it's, it, that's the part of it I'm not enjoying is, you know, the, the bidding and the competition. Uh, you know, okay, I'm spoiled I, from the days when I used to get a call and the, other than setting the numbers, I was on board from the minute the phone call was placed, you know, <laughs> we want you, uh, let's figure out how much it's going to cost instead right. of, we want you to make a bid because we've got a couple other people we're thinking about, you know, and unfortunately I'm not a big fan of that, but it's inevitable. Um, also not a big fan of people who basically come in and submarine you, so to speak, but that's the industry now. And mm -hmm. that's unfortunately the, the dark side of the industry I'm not happy with. And a lot of my compatriots or my contemporaries feel the same. Yeah. I would imagine before it would, it was a very clear process where another artist came to one of your shows. They liked what you did or they didn't like to, what you did. And if they came, if they liked it, they came to you after the show or found you somewhere and said, Hey, Peter, I liked what you did for, for X and I want you to do it for Y. And you're like, well, good. You already know what I'm capable of. Let's do it. Yeah. More often an artist manager would contact me that same, by that same means. Mm -hmm. And uh, nowadays you got to go out and knock on a few doors. You know, it's not quite the same, you know, they're not all not, nobody's knocking on, you know what I'm saying? They're, they're not knocking on my door or anyone else's. They're basically uh, being approached by uh, designers and uh, directors and et cetera. Looking I guess that's why it's important to have Michael Brokaw there available to you to for him to go knock on some doors when you when yeah. you're at home uh, yeah. shoveling snow. Shoveling snow, which yeah. unfortunately he's doing snow. the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Paying somebody to shovel. <laughs> <laughs> no question about that. A lot of people don't realize how important it is to have a team of people on your side. Because uh, if you want to be a designer and you actually want to be able to spend time designing, you need somebody else to be maintaining the door knocking, the cold calls, the incoming emails, the billing, the scheduling, the flights. Uh, well, yeah, the flights. I would never trust Michael with that. But uh, <laughs> he... Uh, he does it's mess up his your... calendar. He messes up his calendar quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> I, I go to, I'll deal with the artist travel agent. Thank you very much. But uh, you know, you know, more important than that is uh, I rely. 
I, I rely so strongly on uh, the few the few programmers that I believe in that work with me and uh, uh, I listen I'd get nowhere without them you know mm-hmm. I mean, listen you could bring the best programmer in the business uh, onto a job with me but if we've never worked together it would be at least a week 10 days before we could really get that connection going you know communication etc where they understand what it is I want I, I I would be back in the the days when I would sit there and literally fixture by fixture dictate what I wanted to see happening which was fine because in those days that's what you had to do now right. I, I have programmers around me as do a few of the other designers who are doing quite well with their companies uh they had you know they just sit down they basically design the rig they lay it out and they give a color format for a song and a couple ideas programmer takes off and does a lot of the hard work without mm-hmm. even asking there's it's a uh, we speak the same language you have unspoken well, sign language more or less you know and that makes it real comfortable to have a technical team like that now that sounds very comfortable where you've uh, been able to cultivate that relationship where you're like hey you kind of already know what i'm looking for here's the colors here's the tempo and then uh, i'm just gonna respond to some emails and show me when you're ready and you can just sign or off we, on, a, on a we're great sitting look. there or we'll we'll be on site you know and uh we'll get started in fact uh, a couple of my programmers i'd love to love name names but i don't want to leave anybody out uh would like me to just leave the damn room <laughs> and, and get out of their hair for an hour <laughs> and frankly when we're uh uh oh benny kirkham is one in particular that is just a brilliant programmer and uh the way we like to work together is, you know, we sit down and do the layout and discuss it and I'll walk away for a bit or look down and get into something else while he works at it. And then I'll poke up my head and have a look. And we find that when we're under a time crunch, it's better to do it that way for me to sit and comment and make changes on the work he's done than try and build it fixture by fixture, cue by cue, because he knows mm-hmm. what I'd like to do. You know, he, he kind of reads my mind because we've been, you know, we've worked on and off together since, uh, my God, since the uh, late eighties, early nineties. So, Oh, wow. So that helps. Yeah. I would imagine he has to kind of channel some Peter Morse through the hat and down through his ears and into the fingers and into the console and just trying to. Yeah. And listen, he, he, along with many of the others, um, Rob Koenig, who's a great designer in his own right, uh, mm-hmm. Scott Chmielewski, uh, Michael Keller, and a few of the others, they're all capable of doing it you know, themselves. It's just that flavor that I want that has to kind of ring through. You know, hey, listen, I, I, you know, I go back to the days when the lighting design was on paper. You know, what I designed went up in the rig and that was it. And it was just, you know, they were fixed lights with fixed colors. Each light had a specific, you know, uh, assignment or assignment in mind. And that was the design. Now, you know, you could almost put up a uh, generic lighting rig, you know, hard edge wash, hard edge wash, spot wash, spot wash. And the design really takes place during the programming. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's changed dramatically, but rightfully so, you know. 
and now with video involved and everything, you know, it used to be a battle, you know, a lighting balance battle between video and lighting. Now, now it's teamwork. Yeah. I would imagine that's part of the conversation you had to have with Bette Midler. You're like, look, yes, we're increasing the technology, but we're doing it so that we can increase the impact. We're not, we're not putting up more technology and more moving lights just to put up more flashy trashy. We're actually going to use this as an ends to a means to, to increase impact. Well, yeah. I mean, it, we actually had discussions where, you know, she would stop a song and say, Peter, this looks like crap up here. <laughs> and I say that come out here and look at it. And if it still looks like crap, we'll fix it. I mean, she's standing in the midst of it all, you know, mm-hmm. and nine times out of 10, I would win that particular confrontation. Uh, but there was an interesting story about her. Uh, the very first tour I did with her, uh, again, it was early 90s. Um, I was uh, sitting in the room uh, programming the lighting rig um, on the set, and uh, they'd rehearsed during the day. And she walks in, she's looking, and she says, let me tell you something. I said, yes. She says, if, don't ever use pink or magenta anywhere around me. If you do, I'll stop in the middle of whatever I'm doing and scream at you. I mean, but I mean, you have to understand, she's a, just a wonderful, wonderful woman, wonderful person. So this wasn't like coming down on me like with, a, with an ax. She was just being creative, but speaking strongly. She said, so please don't do that to me. I said, okay, well, tell me, Bet, what colors do you like? She said, mustard and yellow. Mustard and brown. I'm sorry, mustard and brown. And I said, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, what am I going to do with that? Anyway, a uh, few weeks go by. We're in rehearsals. And finally, we're at a little theater in Minneapolis where we're uh, rehearsing for a couple of days. A gentleman named Joe Layton, the late Joe Layton, a brilliant director, film director, too, uh, was directing the show. And uh, we were in rehearsals the day before opening night in this little theater. And she came, brought it to a screeching halt. She says, Peter Morris, I said, no more fucking pink. (laughs) And I said, well, okay, okay, I can fix that. I'm sorry, because it is my nature to put a little magenta in here and there. I'm known for that. And uh, Joe went to my defense. He said, bet, it's okay. It's going to be all right. She said, I I see it all over the place. I want to see this show relit. I don't want you leaving here until it's right. So we stayed there the whole night and went cue by cue through this show fixing whatever we could fix to make it right for her and coming up with the color combos that she mysteriously liked. She walks in the next morning at 9 a.m. We're still there working. And she says, I got to tell you, I looked at the, uh, the videotape playback of our rehearsal yesterday and it looks pretty damn good. I apologize. My most humble apologies. I say you leave it alone. I said, too late. You know, <laughs> Are you kidding me? You know, so uh, you know, meanwhile, we're there the rest of the day trying to take it back to where it was. And the doors are opening. I get a radio call. Bet wants you backstage. Oh, God, now what? So I go backstage and she, <clears throat> I go in her dressing room. She says, come here, sit down next to me. I go, okay. She says, I want to apologize to you. I feel so badly for yelling at you. It's just not my nature. She said, but I just felt nervous. It's been a long time since I've worked. It had been about 10 years since she appeared anywhere. And, uh, she said, so I want to give you this present. I said, bet there's only a half hour till the show. She says, just sit down and shut up. Here's the, open the present. 
so nicely wrapped present. I opened it up and it's a, a book of artwork, uh, a collection of art of very Matisse, uh, Van Gogh, you name it, they were in there, a whole collection. And she'd flip through the pages. She said, now look, this artist, she said, and this was, so, and she knows her art. She said, this was his so-and-so period in his life and he was painting this. And look at this, oh, look at page 100. And I'm going, this is wonderful, but thank you, but we got a show to do. I got to go up front. Can we talk about it later? She said, no. And then she slams the book shut. She says, now, do you see a common thread here? I said, um, no. She said, no fucking pink. <laughs> and anywhere in the paintings. And I said, okay. <laughs> so several days later, I had her sign the book and write no fucking pink, you know. And uh, sadly, to this day, I cannot find that book. I have no idea where. It's in storage somewhere, but I have no <laughs> idea where it is. Yeah. <laughs> That was That's a Beth. great story. She, uh, Beth was a, it still is. She's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant person, brilliant performer, very creative. And, but, you know, had to work on her level to some degree, you know, and. Uh, what an emotional minefield that must oh, be yeah. for she you. Was, you know, it, we laugh because those of us who've worked with her, uh, there's no such thing as a sound check. It's called what part of the show is being revised in the one hour sound check today, you know. Nice. It was an it was a, an exciting tour to be on. <laughs> it was fun. We really it was mutual respect, mutual love. That's to amazing. this day. To this day. So, Mike, I appreciate you taking the time. I I don't know if you realize we've actually just been chatting for over an hour now. No, I had no idea. Flew, oh yeah, flew wow. past. That is. Yeah. Uh, I feel like this is something that needs to be rehashed at a. Anytime. The hard Rock. Uh, I want to close with one last question that kind of came from my audience. They were asking when you decide if you should follow the rules, the long standing rules that we have in the industry and what factors you use to, when you decide to break the rules, when do you, when do you make that decision? Wow. What a question. Um, I guess the, 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 it comes down to when do you play it safe and when do you yeah, decide to understand. not play it safe? I, f frankly, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not a believer in playing it safe, you know? Um, hey. uh, the, I think you just have to reach, as I was hinting at before, about bringing elements of a different style of lighting into someone's performance uh medium um bringing an element of rock into a theatrical show or vice versa and uh, i think that's been going on for a number of years it starts with the artists themselves but in lighting i uh, i feel that's a strong the i god i'm not sure how to answer that other than the fact that i, I i'm never comfortable just being comfortable Ooh. you know uh, i'm never satisfied i mean there's those who know me know that I'm never totally happy with the way things turn out. I always see things that can be changed. That's why, you know, artists probably don't want me on tour <laughs> because <laughs> things change considerably. But no, I love when things do get locked in, frankly, and are, are comfortable. But uh, I don't mind breaking the rules a little bit. I think it's important. I do 
adhere to one really important uh, self-imposed rule, which is I'm basically there to illuminate the event, not create one. Okay. And uh, whether it's uh, a single solo artist on a stool with a guitar or to uh, uh, an orchestra of 40 with an artist or a 40 piece orchestra, or if it's a uh, metal rock band, basically it's different types of lighting in all respects. And you can get away with a lot more, the more, uh, the closer you get to rock or metal or anything else like that. And uh, the, the heavier restrictions are in dance and theater, but pushing the envelope a little bit, I think is important, but stay within the realm of realizing uh, the audience is there to experience and feel the emotion of either the performer or the performance. And you've got to support that uh, with the lighting and not create your own lighting show. Unless you have an artist, by the way, that can't do anything other than, you know, they need the light show you know, yeah. to, to succeed. That's but a very I, real concern. I'm, I'm a strong believer in uh, illuminating the event instead of creating one. Uh, that, those are great words. Thank you so much for making the time. I really hey, look forward to, uh, to doing this in, in person sooner than later. Love to. Circle bar, whatever. We'll do it. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much, Peter. Stay well. Stay healthy. Stay safe.